We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans. Welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and we're just four days from March. Crazy as that seems, so the postseason for NCAA women's basketball is quickly approaching. We're super excited about that. Lots to talk about on the podcast this week, of course, with that happening. Um, we've got, you know, Sabrina's 2K, 1K, 1K, bracketology to discuss, lots of big storylines coming into the podcast or coming into the postseason. So without further ado, I'm here with Calvin Wetzel from our Hoops team. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey, Megan, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm excited to have you back on. It's been a little bit, but I have lots of stuff to talk about today, of course, as it seems to be the common theme of this season anyway, but I'm excited to have you on again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be back on. March is in like less than a week. It's crazy. <laughs> insane i was gonna just pull up the tweet numbers from this morning i guess this won't come out till thursday morning so it'll be 18 days to selection monday when this comes out and um 22 days to the tournament starts and 36 days to the final four so pretty crazy and i think three days until the first conference tournament at that point by the time this comes out it'll be you said this is coming out thursday Yep, Thursday. So that'll be the last day of the regular season for the Mountain West, and their conference tournament starts three days following that on Sunday. So we're getting into it. Yeah, definitely coming up quick. And then, yeah, I mean, a week from next Thursday, or I mean, a week from this Thursday. So next Thursday, the Pac-12 tournament starts. I know, so that's a big one. So the thick of the postseason is approaching very quickly. Crazy. (laughs) It's upon us. Yes, I'm excited though. It's the best time of the year, I feel like, if you're a college basketball fan. Um, Absolutely. March is always my favorite month. Yeah, yeah same. 
question for you. Do you have a preference? I don't know. I'm probably the weird one in this because I will say the first thing, but do you have a preference between, like, Champ Week games, like, conference tournament games, and, uh, like, opening round of the NCAA tournament? Like, which one's your favorite? Oh, what a question. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say no. I don't know if I do have a preference. The, <laughs> I think Champ Week is so – they're fun in different ways. Champ Week, you have every conference – you have over 300 teams who are somehow still mathematically alive and think they have hope, even though probably 250 of them don't. And there's just – Dozens of games all day, you know, noon to when you go to bed. Um, But then the first round, everything's just so high profile and you have teams that haven't played on national TV all year, you know, getting a chance to to really, especially this year now that all four, uh, the four ESPN channels, every game is going to be nationally televised. You have teams getting in a big stage they haven't played on before, but I don't know. I don't think I can pick one or the other. They're (laughs) They're both fantastic. That's fair. I'm a, like, always been a Champ Week favorite person. I don't know. I just, like, even though most of them, like you said, don't have a chance, I love trying to watch teams try to make that run to, like, get it in March, even if they haven't qualified during the regular season. Um, so I always find that fun to watch. Yeah, that's why college basketball is the most exciting sport to me. Even if that chance is, like, 0.001%, it's not zero. And in every other sport – most teams have a chance of zero by the time you get to this point in the season. In college basketball, almost every team has some sort of mathematical chance still, which is just yeah. so exciting. <laughs> exactly. It makes it so interesting. I know this is a women's basketball podcast, but I know everyone knows I'm a UConn fan, so it's a big thing for me with the UConn men because their hopes are dead other than, you know, a crazy conference tournament run. So it's always fun to try to watch that. They have had a crazy conference tournament run before. Yes, it wouldn't be the first time, so we shall see. <laughs> All right, but yeah, diving back into women's basketball in the thick of it, I think we obviously have to start with last night's game. So we are recording this on Tuesday, so last night was the big Monday Oregon-Stanford game, of course. Oregon came out on top in that one, but the biggest news story I think coming out of that is the 2K1K1K for Sabrina Ionescu. Um, so obviously a huge accomplishment for her. Yeah. Um, and to do it on the same day that she speaks at a Kobe and Gigi's memorial service earlier, in the, earlier in the day down in LA flies, flies back up to the Bay area, gets to Maples, I think like an hour and a half before tip off I saw, um, which I mean, fans probably got there before that. Some of them. So for her, for her to do that, have that kind of day with that kind of emotions, and then to come out and not only uh, get the 2K, 1K, 1K, also have her 26th triple-double, and most importantly, for in her eyes, I'm sure, lead her team to a huge win, a road win over number four. That's that's about as impressive as anything she's done, and that, that's saying something. Yeah, definitely. Um, Obviously, a huge game for her. I think she started out a little bit shaky, or shaky for Sabrina at least, but um, yeah, doesn't a really incredible performance last night, Uh, and then Oregon gets the win. Um, It was closer, I think, than maybe people were expecting. I think it only ended up being like a single-digit win for Oregon, largely due to Lexi Hull for Stanford, had an amazing night, 27 points from her, so another performance definitely worth talking about. Um. 
though I didn't, I never really felt like it was, you know, Stanford had a handle on it or, like, chance at the end there, even when they kind of cut it down. It really felt like Oregon was still in command the whole game, even though they weren't up by 30 like it was in the last one. It didn't feel like they were only down by, you know, eight. Oregon always felt like they were going to win it, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I never really felt like Stanford's got a legitimate shot here, but still you got to give them credit for fighting till the end after getting just completely blown out of the water in the first game and having a chance. It looked like at, you know, at points in the first half, I think Oregon was up, what, like maybe like 15 in the second quarter. It looked like at points that Stanford could maybe go away and roll over and kind of accept the same result, but they, uh, they stayed in it and, you know, cut it to eight at the end. Um, and I, we both talked off air. We agree that they're probably not a top four team, but uh, if they play like that against anyone other than Oregon, Baylor, or South Carolina, they're going to have a pretty good shot. Yeah, agreed. I think, I mean, what they need to have the better shot is just one more person to step up on offense. And it was Keanu Williams and Lexi Hall trying to do it all for them on the offensive end last night for most of it. They just need another weapon in there that's, you know, consistently scoring for them. And I think they're going to look like a lot better team. But, yeah, like we both said kind of off air earlier today, without that offensive weapon right now, I don't see them as a top four team. Still a top ten team, just not maybe fourth in the country. Um, I think we're going to head on that some more later anyway. But, um, yeah, that was kind of my biggest takeaway from last night. But anything else you wanted to add on that game? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Just uh... – Really impressive win for Oregon. Um, and just another, they got the road win at UConn, road win at Stanford. That's two at the time top five road wins, just solidifying their spot as, as one of the top tier teams in the country. Yeah, exactly. And they picked up, a, I think, a road win at UCLA in that kind of time span, too. So not top five, but still a big road win there. And then I think over, home, that, or over Oregon State in that time. Well, maybe that was before you kind of getting the games all mixed up in my head now. But yeah, a lot of big ones on that resume, basically, is what I'm getting at. And a lot of them away from home, which will be important. Obviously, they're going to be pretty close to home uh, for the first four rounds in the NCAA tournament. But there's a chance that they face Baylor in New Orleans in the Final Four, which is almost a pseudo road game in a sense. So, um, you know, being able to being able to win these games on the road now is is important. Build that confidence. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be huge for them come New Orleans, assuming they get there. I think everyone's kind of expecting them to get there, so hopefully we'll be seeing them when we're there in about a month at this point. Um, but yeah, good win for them once again. Um, like a, nothing new on the Oregon front, basically. <laughs> like continuing to dominate. As we yeah, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> All right, so moving on, I wanted to jump over to we got this one great question on Twitter, which kind of relates to Oregon um, as well. So I wanted to bring it up. Also, just a general shout out to everyone that asked us questions on Twitter today. We are not going to get to all of them because you guys were super involved, which I love, but I'm making notes of them all. So we will get to them in the future. Um, but this one from at Michael McGee, I really loved. It's um, if I'm curious for if insert how to upset insert favorite in the NCAA tournament so I think we should just do it for our top three teams so I think everyone agrees that's South Carolina Baylor Oregon what do you think teams need to do should they face them in March if they're going to try to get an upset win there Um, let's start with let's start at the what the number one so South Carolina 
Yeah, well, with South Carolina, I think you got to do a couple things. And this is this is almost kind of a, a general formula to pull an upset, um, men's or women's, just in general college basketball. Um, you got to protect the ball. You can't turn it over because they're so dangerous in transition. Ty Harris, Ty Harris uh, out in the open floor. Um, so you got to you got to protect the ball, get a shot up every time. And even, whether that shot goes in or not, just the fact that you're getting a shot up, putting something on the rim gives you a chance to crash the offensive glass. And that's the one area where South Carolina isn't actually dominant. They are dominant on their own offensive glass, but in terms of their defensive rebounding, they're okay, but they're not an elite top 25 uh, team in that regard. Um, so I really think you just have to get a shot up on the rim at every possession. We're always getting a shot up and we are always crashing the glass shot value, you might call it. You might not shoot very well. You might only shoot 30%, but if you get more shots up than you have possessions throughout that game, you, you have a chance. And the other thing I think you have to do is slow the game down. I mentioned Ty Harris and just how dangerous they are in the open floor, but also just in general, when you're an underdog, the less, the fewer possessions you have, the more likely there is for variability and the more likely it is to be a close game at the end. The more possessions South Carolina gets, the more they're going to pull away from you. So I think you need to slow the game down, uh, dictate the pace, which is easier said than done. Um, and just try to play a low possession, grinded out game, you know, and hope that you can still be in it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I definitely agree with those things. Yeah, probably everything we say is going to be easier said than done, but still, because you've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> Another thing I would be doing if I'm playing South Carolina in March is trying early on to take the ball into the paint right at Aaliyah Boston. She's a freshman. She's going to be a little bit more prone to the kind of, you know, the silly foul mistakes, trying to get her in foul trouble. I think it's a huge win if you can kind of get her to have to, you know, sit on the bench for a little bit in the first half with two fouls. That's going to be a, open up a window um, to kind of get inside some more and keep yourself in the game. So that's the one thing I would be looking to do. And then this one is definitely way easier said than done. But South Carolina is just so good on the offensive glass, and you've got to try to keep them off of it. Because if you just keep giving them second-chance opportunities on top of how good they already are at offense, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, those are great points. And to your point about getting Aaliyah Boston in foul trouble, she's actually um, only had four or more fouls twice Uh which is pretty impressive for a freshman big plays like her. She's had three less fouls almost every game. Um, but the, she's fouled out once. The one time she fouled out was their one loss to Indiana. Um, so something to keep in mind there. I, I like that point that you bring up about trying to trying to get her in foul trouble early. Yeah, of course, that one loss where she fouled out was in November. So November freshman game versus March freshman game is very different. But Right, grain of yeah. salt, but <laughs> you can this is the only time it. she fouled out. They are winless when she fouls out and undefeated when she doesn't. As misleading as that may be. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's definitely, I don't know, it's a good, if you can do it, it'll help. It's hard, not an easy thing to do, though. Anything else you want to add on South Carolina, or should we move to the next one? Uh, no, yeah, I think we covered it. I, I love the points you brought up about South Carolina. Um, what, what do you have for Oregon? Yeah, for Oregon, the first thing I'm on the list is that you need to score a lot. Like, there's just you, <laughs> you can't slow them down on offense. Like, as much as you try, they just have so many weapons on offense. They're going to probably put up 70, 80 points no matter what you do on the defensive end. So... You need to score a lot. I think that's a huge thing. You need to make threes. Like, I don't think you can beat Oregon without making 
a high percentage of your threes and taking a fair amount of threes. Um, I really think that's probably the best recipe for success against them. Yeah, we uh, we were talking off air a little bit, just a general formula for an upset, especially these three teams. Just make every shot, make like 53 <laughs> pointers and don't miss any and get wildly lucky and you might pull out a win. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a good point though. That's a formula for an upset is threes, you know, always lead to more variability um, than twos. Three, You can get really hot or really cold from three and but the only way you're getting hot from three is if you put up the threes, right? So you got to launch. Yeah. Um, and I also think, again, back to your, our whole theme of easier said than done, defending the middle pick and roll, right? Like that's why that's where they're the best in the half court with Sabrina running that middle pick and roll. And you have to be able to at least contain it. They're going to get some points off of it, but you have to be able to hold them to, to their average or maybe slightly below their average uh, performance with the middle pick and roll. You can't just let them go absolutely crazy and, you know, Sabrina has 15 assists, Ruthie and, and Satu each putting up 20 plus, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I think that's how you're going to have to beat the Oregon Ducks if anyone can pull off. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the like synergy numbers in front of me, but I would have to guess they're probably like first in the country for that pick and roll offensive efficiency. They're just so yeah, good at that. I can, uh, I can pull it up right now. We can, uh, we can cut this out or not. Just insert plug here for synergy. It's like amazing. twenty dollars a month, but in my opinion, it's worth it. <laughs> Super worth it. Yeah. So I have it here. Um, so Oregon is twelfth in the country um, in points per possession on pick and rolls when the roller scores, and sixth when the ball handler scores. So top twelve either way um, on that pick and roll. Yeah, so just totally insane. Really difficult to stop. Um, and obviously, I'm not even surprised that it's, you know, higher when it's not the ball hander, handler scoring because with uh, Satu and then Hebert as two of the often receiving ends of that, um, obviously both really efficient scorers. So I think, yeah, it's really difficult to defend. I think a lot of teams try to shut down, like, one of them. I feel like that's what happens with Oregon. Like, they try to th- shut down one of the big three, but you're still, like, praying that the other two aren't going to have a huge night, and it doesn't really seem to work out for anyone. I think Stanford tried to shut down Hebert and pretty successfully shut down Hebert uh, on Monday night, but Savoy just went off, so <laughs> didn't matter. And then I think UConn did it with Sabrina. They tried to sit down. Sabrina, she didn't have a ton of points, but then Saboli and Hoover both went off. So, um, yeah. Yeah, your chances. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, their offense is just ridiculously hard to guard. Yeah, your chances of catching all three of those on an off night are are pretty slim. But uh, you wrote an article recently, I think, where you compared those big three to to Fluffy from Harry Potter, (laughs) right? So I guess maybe the other key to beating Oregon is to have like a magical harp or something <laughs> to yeah, Hermione be able to play that music, somehow tame all three of them at the same time. I don't know. That's That might be about the only way. Yeah, so for uh, referring to Harry Potter spells and how to tame them, good luck, everyone, basically. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, if you if you can't do magic, then you're done. That's basically what it comes down to when you play Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> no, the other thing I did have on my list was how Louisville beat them back in, I mean, it was in November, where they kind of had Kylie Shook on the perimeter and really basically dared Minion Moore to take threes a lot of the game, which if you can 
force Mini and more to take a lot of threes as their shots, you're probably in good shape. But I just don't know that that defensive game plan is something they're going to like really falter with again. I think they saw it early on and it worked. Huge credit to Jeff Walls for that. But I just think that they're going to know how to handle that if they see it now. And they're still going to find a way to run their offense around it. Yeah, I actually had that on my notes too. But, uh, you know, like you said, it was in November. I think that was the first time they've really seen it. And that's part of why Louisville was able to win was because they weren't prepared for it. And, they, you know, they've seen it a couple other times since then different teams try to do different different uh, creative things like that. But but they're ready. I think you and I actually talked uh, at that time of the podcast about how that might be one of the best things for them is to have something like that happen in November to be able to be prepared for it, you know, come this time of year. Um, but also just, it's crazy thinking back to November, the fact that the four losses of these three teams, you know, on a side note, all came within like two days or whatever it was. There was the Thanksgiving tournaments, right? Or sorry, the three, three of the four, I should say, Oregon lost Arizona state a few weeks ago. Three of the four losses came over Thanksgiving break, basically. And obviously one of them was two, one of the other two teams uh, with the Baylor and South Carolina game. But since then, since December started, right? These teams are like 150 and one or whatever. <laughs> Something at one. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane. Like how good they've been since November. And I always kind of take those like Thanksgiving tournament losses with a little bit of a grain of salt too, because you're kind of in a like weird, like three games in three days, holiday break environment. It's a little bit different than like your normal regular season game. Um, so I think it's even more impressive that really the bulk of their losses are all just from that, you know, kind of one weird Thanksgiving tournament type setting. And then other than that, Arizona State lost from Oregon. None of these teams have lost. Yeah, right. And you got the distractions depending on where your tournament is with beaches and stuff like that. But uh, you uh, you also, the three, you bring up the three games in three days thing. That is, that is a unique thing to Thanksgiving tournaments, but it's also a unique thing to conference tournaments. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these teams, you know, do getting in it next week. They're going to be back in that setting, maybe not in a tropical place, but still the kind of three games or four games in, in as many days type of setting is going to be back for the first time since November. Yeah, very true. I mean, I guess Oregon's in Vegas, so close enough to a tropical setting. Well, they're too <laughs> not so much, but... <laughs> a valid point. <laughs> So yeah, it uh, will be interesting to kind of see how they hold up. I mean, I think it's going to be a different story for each of these teams, right? You've got kind of Oregon that's probably got the toughest run for a conference tournament in the Pac-12. And then the SEC, I think, is also going to be interesting. The Big 12 with Baylor, not so much. I think they're going to be the you know heavy favorite to win that all there. Um, as we've seen them kind of run the table in the Big 12 once again this year. So Yeah, I think Baylor's... Uh... Baylor's got nothing but wins left on their schedule until the tournament, possibly until New Orleans. Um, the other two probably are going to be favored in every game, but but someone could pick them off. Um, so, which would be interesting to see how that affects the, the order of those three, um, which probably doesn't matter too much. We have the Portland Regional, the Dallas Regional, and Greenville Regional. So we pretty much all already know where these three are going. They're going to their home state. Um but I think it's going to matter a little bit in terms of whoever gets the number one overall seed. I don't think anyone really cares if you're the two or the three. There's, um, but the number one overall, you get to avoid the other two until the championship game, which which is a big deal since there's such a gap from three to four. So I do think the seeding of these three matters a little bit in terms of just getting that number one overall and in, in uh, 
avoiding them in the in the semifinals, avoiding the other two. Agreed, agreed. I think you know the favorites for that number one overall right now would be either South Carolina or Oregon. I think the other two would have to lose for Baylor to get up there, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how that works out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, going back to kind of what you were saying about the uh, conference tournaments, South Carolina, I'm kind of interested to see. I don't know what the SEC bracket looks like right now, but I would love to see them have to play Kentucky again. I'm still intrigued. They played Kentucky, I think it was this past weekend, um, and they only won by we're only nine points. It's still a pretty big margin, I guess, but it's a smaller margin of victory than we've seen from South Carolina in a while. And Ryan Howard was 5 of 22 from the floor for Kentucky, which is obviously very atypical for her. So I think that would be an interesting matchup to see again in the SEC tournament. Um, if Howard has a more typical shooting night, that could have been an upset in the making. So that will be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to bring up Arkansas too. I know they uh, fell out of the rankings, but they're one of those teams because they the style that they play – with all the threes that they shoot and just the transition that they run, there's really high variability. They could lose by 30 or they could win by three. There's there's just such a wide range of possible outcomes with a team that plays the way Arkansas does, which means the high end of the outcome, they could knock off South Carolina, in my opinion. And I'm looking at the standings you brought up. Arkansas and Kentucky right now would be the four and five seeds, and obviously South Carolina is the one. So, so both of our teams who we're interested in seeing face South Carolina – would, if the standings shake out how they currently are, would, would meet South Carolina in the SEC semifinals. Nice. So, yeah, that could definitely be an interesting one there. Um, yeah, Arkansas is an interesting one. I haven't watched them play that much this season, but I think Jen compared them to DePaul last week, which I think is the perfect analogy for people that haven't also watched Arkansas play. Until this season, if you think about DePaul's style of play, where it's, you know, that fast pace, lots of threes, it's very similar to what Arkansas does. Yeah, it's actually it's actually the type of style that um well you're exactly right. Jen is exactly right. This type of style that DePaul plays in um So yeah, going back to our Twitter question now that we kind of gravitated away from last team being Baylor there. Any thoughts on what you'd do to try to beat Baylor? Yeah, I uh I decided to to come up with a radical one here that that, that might sound crazy, but I I mean first let's start with how not to do it. Um, when, when you go back to that Baylor UConn game and we saw the first half UConn sags off, right? Because Baylor doesn't shoot any threes at the time. They were the 351st out of 351 and three point rate, um, percentage of the threes attempted. They're still 348. They take the fourth fewest threes in the country, but somehow this is comical to me. They are first in three point percentage in the country. They, they're as good at shooting the three as anyone in the country and, and they just don't take them, which is which is just hilarious to me. I don't, I don't get it, but how not to beat them is to let them shoot threes just because they don't want to shoot threes. If they do shoot threes, they will knock them down. But my radical idea, if we want to get really crazy, I have no idea whether this would work, but I think it's worth a shot. If you're a 16 seed or someone who really has no chance anyway, you might as well try something crazy, right? Is triangle and two against. So the two man would be Juicy Landrum and Taya Cooper. Those are their two shooters who are in their starting lineup, right? And this is only when they have their starters on the court. Um, and then zone the rest and sag that triangle a little bit. The other, the other three don't really shoot threes at all. They don't sh- take them or make them, either one. So just just have put two, put your best two defenders on Taya Cooper, Juicy Landrum, have them just run around and stick to them like glue. 
sag off the other three in your triangle and basically just make D.D. Richards shoot over the top, Lauren Cox shoot over the top, right? Lauren Cox has actually been less efficient this year on the offensive end than she has been in any of her first three years, which might be partially due to, you know, some of that rust with the injury and everything. Um, but honestly, if I, I'm looking at Baylor stats, if I'm, if I'm playing Baylor, I'm okay with Lauren Cox taking most of their shots, even though Lauren Cox is still one of the best players in the country and you are probably still going to lose. That's that's if I lose this year with Lauren Cox putting up 25, that's, you know, I'm going to live with that. Yeah, that's definitely fair based on their numbers so far this year. Definitely playing with fire because it's Lauren Cox, but this is, I mean, all these plans where you've got to be a little radical, I think, especially if you're, you know, one of the lower seeded teams. I think it becomes a little bit less radical of a game plan when you're talking a two seed facing off against these teams. But when we're talking a 16 or a 10 or, you know, something early on in the tournament, if you're trying to upset one of these teams, it's going to probably be a combination of a radical game plan, hitting a bunch of threes, and, you know, hopefully they're having a little bit of an off night as well. Um, one other thing I had for Baylor is that they have averaged 13 turnovers a game, which isn't horrible, but it's also not great. So just trying to turn them over, they don't do the best job of taking care of the ball. Um, so if you can, you know, kind of use that to get them out or to get out in transition and get some easy buckets, that'll help as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think both of our ideas can, can go together here, Megan, because I think if you do stick to Juicy Landrum and Tay Cooper, you know, as much as you can, um, enforce force some of those other three to, to handle and shoot the ball. Um, that actually is going to lead to more turnovers because Tay Cooper is your ball handler, right? Mm-hmm. And and Juicy Lander can handle the ball. She's she's more of an off guard. But um, but if Dee Dee Richards is she's she's a great ball handler at her size. But if you turn her into the point guard um, instead of Tay Cooper, I think like like we said, you're it's pick your poison. Dee Richards is still going to beat you, so you're probably still going to end up coming away with a loss. But if you have to choose, like that, that's that's the one to choose. Yeah, I agreed with that. Um, once again, I think we saw Dee Richards. You know, last year she doesn't score a lot for them, but last year in the tournament we saw her kind of become this like big offensive factor for them in one or two games, which all of a sudden people had to start guarding her. Um, so I think they're going to be looking to her to kind of do that again come March. So another playing with fire to hop off or to help off of her, but be interesting to see what happens. Still a good game plan as far as people to help off or to try to force it to handle in the bottom ball more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure if I, uh, I want a coach to be listening to this and try the triangle in two, <laughs> or if I want them to not do it because if they do it and they're still get blown out by 40, I'll look like an idiot, but <laughs> I don't think you look like an idiot. I think you could do a lot of things and still get blown out by 40 by any of these teams. So you could do most yeah. things right and still have that happen. So, yeah, um, that is what it boils down to. Yeah, I mean, was it – the or you brought up the Baylor-UConn game where they kind of, you know, hit a ton of threes. And I think you know how the perfect quote that kind of is applicable to really all three of these teams in that – um, like a really good team is going to have more than one boy they can beat you. And that's exactly what Baylor has with their ability to shoot threes. And I think all three of these teams have more than one, probably more like four or five different ways they can beat you. So that's um, what makes them so good this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The key is, you know, if they have three ways that are 
historically good, and then their their fourth and fifth best way to beat you are only pretty good. You you have to, you have to make them use those and just hope that hope that you get a little bit lucky and can hang in there. But exactly. I'm, I'm excited to see these teams get into March. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say basically the same thing that, you know, March always comes with surprises, so you never really know. Especially this like, year. Yeah, especially this year. I was going to say, I'm going to try to think like the last time that we had a bunch of like number one seed type up upsets in the NCAA tournament. And I'm not talking like number one, number two upsets. I'm talking more like bigger upsets. I think it was probably like maybe. 2016, I remember there being a bunch of them. I don't, I didn't do the research, so I'm just going off the top of my head right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's look up the 2016 tournament. I'll pull it up. I only remember 2016 because, I mean, obviously UConn did not get upset that year, but I feel like what they played in the final four was not a combination of number one seeds so, as much. Um, I remember it was Syracuse in the title game. I'm blanking on who the other two were, but it was not one number one seeds. I yeah, know, I'm seen that much upset since really at the very top with like lower seeds looking it up so 2016 um obviously you kind of made the final four you had oregon state make it as a two seed you had washington make it as a seven seed that was the big one um and you had yeah exactly and you had syracuse <laughs> uh make it as a four seed so you had a, a one two four and seven you're right that was that was the most recent pretty wild final four that we've seen I don't know if we're going to get there, even though this year has had more parity throughout the regular season overall than that year or any year in, in recent memory. That gap between three and four is so big. I don't think we're going to only see one seed, one, one seed in the final four this year. I don't think two of those three are getting upset before the final four. Maybe one of them, maybe. Yeah. And I don't see if I do, if more than one of them gets upset, it's not. I don't see it being you know a seven or a four. I see it being a two, not a, you know not a crazy upset. Exactly, but. But we talked about those regional locations already. That makes it even less yeah. like the fact that they all three get to stay within an hour or whatever it is of their of their campus is makes it even that much tougher on, on two through four trying to knock them off. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. It's kind of crazy how that worked out, right? They've got, you know, three of the regional locations are happen to be like basically next door at the three, the three best schools in the country. Yeah, of all years, the year that those three are the big, th- big three is the year that Dallas, Portland, and Greenville host, right? What are the odds? Yeah, I don't know, but not high, I would guess. <laughs> um, I mean, I think you kind of always expected that this year's Portland Regional would have like a host favorite because of the Pac-12 strength, but um, the Greenville and Dallas one is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great for attendance because you're going to get all the hometown fans for each of those schools, hopefully turning out for the regionals because they are so close, so it's going to be really good for attendance. Absolutely. It'll, it'll be fun. And that makes it more fun to watch on TV, too, when you, when you have that crowd noise coming through. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I think we might see it at all four, if we're being honest. Uh, right now, I'm pretty sure Louisville slated to go to Fort Wayne as probably the two. Um, but assuming that, you know, holds, which, of course, anything can happen at this point. But assuming that holds, I think we'll see a pretty strong Louisville presence in Fort Wayne as well. I'm pretty sure that's close. So. Yeah, and you know who else we might see in Fort Wayne? Maybe this brings me, if it's all right, to segue to a point I, yeah. I wanted to make at some point on this podcast is Northwestern, who yes. I believe is closer to Fort Wayne than Louisville. I would have to Google Maps to know for sure. But right now, uh, a lot of people, yourself, Charlie Cream, have them already on the two line, right? Not the mm-hmm. highest two line. You're going to have to get up 
to that, basically five overall if you want to go to Fort Wayne. But they're going to have the opportunity. They they finish out the regular season at home against Illinois, and at, as a, you know, an Illinois fan, I could safely say they're easily going to win that game. And then they have the conference tournament where if the standings stay how they are right now, it depends on uh, on whether Northwestern ends up with the one or the two. But right now I think Maryland has the tiebreaker. So if, if Maryland wins out, Maryland gets the one, Northwestern at the two, Iowa at the three. Northwestern would get an opportunity to play Iowa in the semifinals and Maryland in the championship game. I'm not saying they're going to win those both, but if they do win those both, come away with Big Ten regular season title, a share of it, and the Big Ten tournament title, and two more quality neutral site wins over Maryland and Iowa, I think that might be enough to vault them, depending on what other, other teams do, uh, like Louisville and Stanford, that might be enough to vault them up to number five. And I'm sure they would have a presence in Fort Wayne. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, part of that will, of course, be who ends up being that fourth one right now because it's Maryland, so you couldn't have Maryland and Northwestern both there. But I have a feeling if Northwestern wins out and then wins the Big Ten tournament, Maryland's no longer that fourth one. So everything changes anyway. So Right, the scenario involves Maryland losing, so Maryland could drop to six or seven at that point. Yeah, so. be crazy. We could in a world where Louisville wins out which now we're getting very <laughs> hypothetical but have a louisville northwestern as a one two in um fort wayne which would make for a great home card boy that would be fun hypothetical that's the whole point of this kind of year right <laughs> yeah. hypothetical so that's 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 what it's all about but boy that would be fun louisville and north northwestern and fort wayne for a chance to go to the final four yeah that would be a really fun matchup so it'll be fun to see how that all works out but I think, yeah, you've got a handful of Big Ten teams in the mix that are pretty close by there, too, with Iowa and that group of top, top 16 seeds as well. So, yeah, so we should see good crowds, hopefully, at all of the regionals, which is always what you want to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a good year for women's basketball. Yes. So, yeah, speaking of kind of all these hypothetical hypothetical regional matchups and whatnot, anything way on the list for today was kind of talking about, you know, seeding, where teams are going to fall, trying to decipher that four through ten group. I feel like that's the hardest question this year. You've got this clear one, two, three, and maybe a little haziness on what order one, two, three go in, but it's still a clear one, two, three, and where they're going to end up, assuming nothing crazy happens um, in the next two weeks. But that four through ten group is, I don't know, it's pretty hard to sort through. I feel like there's just, you know, a handful of teams in there that are all kind of similar resumes. It's like some of them you can kind of make a stronger argument for that they're better than one or the other. Some of them it's like, I feel like it's really splitting hairs. Um, I don't know if you have a specific place you want to start. Uh, we can start with Maryland if you don't, but I'm trying to talk about where all those teams stand. Yeah, we can st- let's start with Maryland. I think uh, we just talked about them a little bit already uh, as it relates to Northwestern. So I think it's probably the one seed, the fourth one seed is probably Maryland's to lose yeah. at this point. Um, I think if I think if they win out, they will get it. It's a big if because they are going to have some tough games in the Big Ten Conference tournament. There's a couple teams that we basically know are going to win out at this point. You have Baylor, you have UConn, right? Okay. But, but Maryland is going to have to face presumably uh, Indiana, and then one of Northwestern and Iowa in the Big Ten Conference Tournament, all three teams that 
have potential on the right night to knock off Maryland. But Maryland's been playing so much better in the last couple of months than, than they were earlier in the season. So, so they are still going to be the favorite to come out of that Big Ten tournament. I think if they do, um, then then the one seed is is theirs to lose. Yeah, and I think Jen and I touched on this a little bit last week, so I won't harp on it for too long. But yeah, they've just been so much better as of late. They haven't lost since the beginning of January, and they're one of those teams that's definitely benefiting from the strength of their conference. In that, there's I think in the like her hoops does top thirty teams. They've had five Big Ten opponents, so just a really strong Big Ten conference this year with lots of opportunities to win, and they've been winning. So their resume looks great for that number, for that fourth number one seed. Yeah, definitely. And that's where, that's where I think Charlie Cream has them right now, right? That's where you have them. And they are fourth mm-hmm. uh, in the Herb Hoop stats ratings as well right now. Um, not that the committee is going to go with, with the predictive <laughs> ratings that we have, but just, just confirms what, what, we, what I think most people agree on. Yeah, they're going to take you on too. They're actually third in RPI. They have Baylor beat out on RPI. Um, so in case you need further evidence for their number one seed case, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, either that or further evidence that the RPI isn't good. One or the yeah, other. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> that's probably a topic for another podcast. But... <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, some other time. That's a rabbit trail. But... <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so then when you move to the two line, right, this is where I think you start splitting hairs on them. The, like, Louisville-UConn-Stanford argument, I think you can argue yourself into a lot of different directions in that list. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on, obviously, you're a UConn fan. Do you have any biased or unbiased thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, so for me, I, like, have convinced myself that Stanford is at kind of, you know, the bottom of that tier, there, um, they are kind of you know you've got UConn, Louisville. I'll come back to in a second at five and six, and then Stanford kind of coming in at the bottom there at seven. So yeah, and the big thing for Stanford with me is you know you look at their overall record, they're twenty four and four, so it's relatively strong. Um, but what I was looking at is how they performed against her hoop stats, like top ten, top twenty five, and top fifty teams. Uh, and against top 10, which is basically just their two Oregon team games, their own two. Top 25, they're four and three. And then top 50, they're four and four. So they just, like, there's no, to me, like, conclusive data point of, like, where in that group they kind of stand. Um, they're kind of just, you know, in, I mean, tied record against the top 50 kind of says it all to me. Right there, it's just that they're, um, nothing is, like, jumping out on their resume, basically, as, like, a, this is why we deserve to kind of be at the top of that list. Um, so that's where they stand at the bottom for me. The UConn-Louisville one is really splitting hairs, actually. So I was working on my bracketology article that Calvin kind of alluded to today. You know, I had to put in the slack, like, does anyone have strong opinions? Because obviously trying not to be UConn biased there. I ended up putting Louisville on top um, just because they have one that went over Oregon. It's a, a little bit be- better record. Uh, over top 25 teams and then they've got two losses that are, were without on um, their starter whose name I am probably going to pronounce wrong but Elizabeth Dalligan um so I think, I think Balagoon okay I think Balagoon. you said it right Balagoon that's how that's how her announcers say it 
Announcer okay. is also mispronounced Michaela Anyanwede's <laughs> name like all of last year. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. We can, we can cut that out too. um so yeah so i mean the selection committee does take into consideration who is on the floor when you played those games so i think that does matter that she was out for those games i don't know if it's the difference maker in some of them so i'm kind of on the fence of how much that does or doesn't matter um but yeah for me it was really splitting hairs i mean they're kind of where they stand is just so close and rpi i believe louisville is fifth and you kind of stick so really really close together and and then, actually, in her hoop stats rating, UConn has been quite beat. But like we were saying earlier, it's not so much the predictive model that the selection committee is looking as like the current resume. But to me, I really could see the selection committee going either way on this. It's really splitting hairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one of those things where you know when it when it comes out uh, on Selection Monday, everyone's gonna be arguing, and especially those fan bases and. Everyone's going to be right and everyone's going to be wrong because there's really there's so many good arguments for and against all these teams when you get into this group. Um, Mississippi State certainly didn't do Stanford any favors a couple of days ago when they lost at home to Alabama because wow. that's Stanford's probably best win. Um, and that looks slightly less good now that, now that, that upset um, that upset happened to Mississippi State a couple of days ago. But um, I think I agree with you that you know as it stands now, Stanford is is third out of that group of three. They do have more chances to maybe vault themselves ahead of UConn. UConn's not going to have any chances for any good wins. And Stanford obviously is going to have another shot at, you know, multiple top 15 caliber teams um, as they get into the PAC 12 tournament, possibly another chance at, at Oregon um, if they both make it that far. Um, So, so they're definitely in that territory where if they, were able to pull an upset or two and win out and win the Pac-12 tournament, they would be able to vault themselves up. Um, I agree with you. I think they're third. I think uh, I think the committee will will take uh, the absence of Elizabeth Balagoon into account. Um, Louisville's two losses, like you said, that since uh, since the new year were without her. Um, so so Louisville might have a slight edge on UConn right now. Louisville has the best win. Uh, in this group, yeah. obviously head to head neutral side against Oregon. Uh, at the same time, when you talk about like when I talk about Stanford having more opportunities to vault themselves ahead of UConn, as does Louisville, but that also comes with more opportunities to to drop, right? And, and UConn's going to win out. That's almost that's almost a given. Now that I said that, someone's going to beat them. But <laughs> but we're going to assume that UConn's going to win out. And so if Louisville is at slightly ahead of UConn by by hair right now one loss could knock, even if it's not a terrible loss, could still be enough to knock Louisville down, down a spot and, and put UConn up to the number five, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the curse of being in a good conference, right? All the opportunities to push yourself up, but also all the opportunities to kind of fall down, um, where UConn's kind of in this boat where basically they need other people to lose, because like we said, we expect that they'll win out, so. Um, if they lose, they're really hurting themselves. But I mean, they have yet to lose in the AAC. It's been nearly seven years. I don't really see it happening this year. So I think we won't really be talking about that too much. <laughs> yeah, I think we're safe on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you get to the next tier, which is where I really struggle. I think, you know, in that group, you've got Northwestern now, 
We've got UCLA, got Mississippi State, and got NC State. I think those would be, I guess that's 11 teams, not 10, but I don't really know who you cut out from that top group. So I guess it's now the 4 to 11 conversation with Northwestern sliding themselves up in there. Yeah, let's be inclusive. Let's just let's just conclude all eleven. Why not? <laughs> so yeah, that's another one where again it starts getting to slid, splitting hairs once again. <laughs> um, any thoughts on those teams you want to offer up off of that? Yeah. So unlike the other group, this group um, has four teams who all are in that kind of position with with a bunch of landmines we talked about, where there's a bunch of potential losses on the schedule remaining, but there's also a bunch of opportunities to vault themselves up. So it's really almost, it's fun to talk about now. And, and uh, you know, everyone's doing it and, and we all have opinions and should have opinions now, but everything we say today is going to be different three, four or five days from now, because unlike UConn, these, all four of these teams play very losable games and very, Game, games that are very much able to help their resume too, especially in the conference tournament when you have SEC, Big Ten. So right now, I think I see Northwestern at the top of this group. Um, the fact that they've been able to only lose three games all year, all to really good teams. Um, very, very close loss to DePaul, I think two points in the non-conference. And then at Maryland was, I believe, eight or nine points. Um and then the Iowa loss was was obviously the only one that was a blowout, but but Iowa's been playing great basketball. So I think Northwestern's at the top of this group. I might be a little biased. I, I've kind of jumped on Northwestern's bandwagon this year, but um, but things could could definitely change in the next week or two. I think Mississippi State might have been up at the one or you know top one or two of this group until until they lost to Alabama at home the other day, but that really yeah. set them back. Yeah, that loss for Mississippi State definitely hurts, but I agree with you that Northwestern is at the top of this group without a Northwestern bias, so it's not a bias. I think you're right. Um, I appreciate the confirmation. <laughs> there's 7-3 against the Hoops. Stats top 50. Um, all of their losses are to top 25 in the Hoops. That's rating teams, so um, no real bad losses in there, like you were kind of alluding to, and a good chunk of wins up there as well. So they look really good, of course, sitting on top of the – um, Big Ten standings with Maryland right now too. Um, so yeah, I definitely think they're kind of at the top of that grouping right now. And then I've got UCLA in second. I th- their loss at Washington hurts them. I think they're higher up if they don't lose at Washington or I think it was yeah Washington this weekend. Not a great loss for them. They were really in a position where had they kind of won out the rest of their Pac-12 schedule, which is the easier stretch of the Pac-12. And then or or Stanford lost last night. They had the tiebreaker with Stanford. They had a good shot at finishing second in the Pac-12. Um, that kind of crumbles a little bit with that Washington loss. But still a team that I think looks pretty good. Now got four losses. To be fair, one of those is an overtime. Or was it, I think, a double overtime loss to USC without Michaela Onuere. So she was out with an ankle injury. I think that's one where the committee probably does take that into consideration because she's such a huge part of their team and it's such a small loss that that really could be the difference. Um, and it's already a double overtime loss on the road, granted on the road, which is down the road when it, you're talking UCLA, USC, but still, um, I think that there's a grain of salt with that loss. The Washington one is not great, but then there are other two 
losses are to Arizona and to Oregon, so not bad losses at all. They're a team that, to me, is as good as their offense decides to be on any given night. Their defense is really good all the time for the most part, but their offense just struggles to find a way to score sometimes, and I think that's what they need to figure out kind of going into March. Not that that impacts their seeding, but just my general thought on what they need to do, but... I think they're still number two, even with that Washington loss, probably the number two team in that group. Yeah, I, uh, it's interesting. We talked about Mississippi State lost to Alabama, UCLA lost to Washington, um, and NC State uh, has a couple losses recently outside the top twenty-five, although not nearly nearly as bad as a Washington loss. But uh, they lost three of their last four. Only one of them was a top twenty-five team. Uh, they lost to Georgia Tech and Duke, who are both good teams. Both could be or maybe will go to the tournament, um, but they were at home. NC State's lost three home games, three straight home games now, including last night uh, to Duke. So so Northwestern is really the only one of these without a, quote, bad loss. I don't know if you call uh, unranked at home a bad loss. Georgia Tech and Duke aren't, no knocks on them. But um, it's almost, they're almost starting to cancel each other out. You look at the Alabama loss, you look at the Washington loss, and and these teams are, are moving themselves down at the same rate. So it's still splitting hairs. If, if just one of these teams has a bad loss, we're like, oh, that's easy. They're, they're fourth out of the group, right? But when everyone does it, and what do you do? Yeah. It's just a big tie. It's, it's, it's so hard to figure out. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and yeah, NC State is an interesting one. And then it's just like, I feel like such a quick fall from like Grace where they were I don't know, a week or two ago, but they projected fourth number one seed. And now I have them as a three seed um, and kind of like the third three seed, so not even like the best three seed. So a very quick tumble with losing three of their last four. They were looking so good and then kind of just a quick downward spiral for them in the last yeah, they were games. 22 and one, 21 and one, mm-hmm. something at one. Yeah. I mean, in that Louisville game, and three straight home losses, doesn't matter who it is, is not. Not one or two C material. Yeah, so not a great kind of week or two stretch here for them. Um, it hasn't looked so good to be NC State right now. Yeah, they got to get the ship righted, but they got a little bit of time. Two more regular season games, presumably three, maybe maybe four if they if they get on a run. Uh, ACC tournament games. They got some time to get back up on that two line. The one one seed might be out of reach at this point. But yeah, I would say bar something insane happening the one seed's out of reach but two seed they've got some change it, chances to you know pick up some big wins in the ac double or the, the acc tournament and um really kind of help them help their case all of these teams really have that opportunity in their conference tournaments right i mean you got northwestern in the big 10 ucla in the pac-12 and mississippi state in the sec so all teams with chances to kind of help them help their cases in the tournament or hurt them of course but <laughs> yeah and i think if you're the committee you're probably hoping that these groups that are kind of in the same tier do different things in their right. respective conference tournaments right you hope that maybe one of these four teams wins the conference tournament one of them gets second and one of them loses in the semifinals right and one of them loses early because if they all do the same thing then you just, <laughs> the decision is just so tough but if, if one of them was on a run and one of them gets knocked out first round, you have a little bit of separation that you can make your decision a little bit easier on uh, Selection Monday. Yeah, definitely. I know I spent a lot of time looking at this today, so it's so hard to like decipher right now. Obviously, when we've got 
for anyone that likes to look at the stuff, the comparison tool over on the website at Herbstats is great because it kind of, you know, stacks up each team's schedule right next to each other, where they won, where they lose. You can kind of visually try to look at it, but it's still, even with that, it's still so hard to kind of say, you know, what is better, but it at least helps to be able to see it right in front of you. Yeah, it wouldn't be fun if it was easy, though, right? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> that's <laughs> why it's fun. Would do it if it was easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why we love it by this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> yeah, making a bracket is not an easy thing. <laughs> so, but yeah, if you're trying to reason with why things they are the way they are, that's definitely a way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I give huge props to Charlie Cream that does it all the time versus my like once or twice a season <laughs> bracket that comes for us but yeah it's impressive what he does to keep up with everything going on all over the country yeah to have a day job too we were yeah. talking off air to you know it's it's not joe lunardi where he gets paid full time for this to be able to have a day job and still keep it up to date at this point i think he's updating basically every day right or at least every other day now that we're kind of into the end of the season so props to him yeah, he's probably him. Also, I feel like I have to say this because I've like talked to multiple people who didn't realize this. Like, he doesn't make the actual bracket, just so people know. Like, the selection committee makes the actual bracket. And people get so mad at him online, and I'm like, Dude, he's like just trying to predict what the selection committee is gonna do. <laughs> like, oh yeah, important like, clarification. Out to kill your team. <laughs> yeah, very very important clarification for all the Twitter haters. Charlie Cream yeah. is not the committee. <laughs> So yeah, there's an actual committee. He doesn't make the bracket, just in case a lot of people also don't know that, because I've been like shocked by how many people I realized didn't realize that. So yeah, Charlie Cream is not who makes the actual bracket. <laughs> um, he's just trying to predict, just like we are, and everyone else that puts out a bracket is. So <laughs> always good to know. <laughs> All right, I think that's it for tonight. Great discussion tonight. Really appreciate. Yeah, definitely. Talking college then- hoops. Yes, and the countdown to New Orleans is on. I'm excited. And thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Megan. I appreciate it. Six weeks from tomorrow, I think we'll be in New Orleans. Yes. Nice dinner. I said last week, basketball and beignets coming at you soon. (laughs) That's right. Basketball and beignets. Can't wait. (laughs) Well, that's all from us tonight. As always, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please make sure to rate, like, subscribe, review the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps more people find us and our content. Also, if you like what you hear on the podcast, make sure you're checking out our articles, our new newsletter, which you can get to your inbox with all our best content for free. So definitely sign up for that on Substack. And then, of course, the stats site at herhoopstats.com, all your essential stats heading into the postseason for NCAA Women's Basketball. And it's just $20 a year to subscribe. We also appreciate all your input on social media. And then you can also contact us at podcast at herhoopstats.com. And as always, thank you all for listening.